The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies, like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together, we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet that's right up to $1,500 again sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in Ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park that's 1-800-GAMBLER If it doesn't work, you're just not using enough. You're listening to Softweb Radio, special operations military news, and straight talk with the guys in the community. Hello again, everyone. Welcome back to Soft Rep Radio, Soft Rep Radio on time, on target. I'm your host this afternoon, Steve Balistrieri. Our special guest this afternoon needs no introduction to our Soft Rep community. We all know him. We've all read all of his stuff. He actually did some Facebook Live stuff years ago uh, as part of Soft Rep, but George Hand is joining us. Uh, George just wrote, and we have it right here, Brothers of the Cloth. It's actually backwards on camera, but uh, he just wrote this book. We're going to discuss that. But before we do that, George, Gio, welcome back to SoftRev. We've missed you, my friend. Thank you, Steve. I really appreciate the invite. It's good to see you. I mean, uh, we've all missed you around here. Um, and I, I have to jump right in and ask you a, a quick question. I had Pete Blaber on not too long ago, who you work oh. for uh, in, in the special mission unit. Um, he was telling us about your affinity and ability with foreign languages. And is that something you picked up as a youngster? Or was it just something you were born with? Or? Yeah, uh, as a youngster. Like the affinity, I... I recognized as a youngster uh but i i was so young that i had no um, resources at all nothing to help me learn no books and no no cassette tapes 
no no people that, that, to, to help me. So I didn't start really learning until once I got into the military, then, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of resources available to you in the military, Flamericks and uh, DLI materials, that sort of thing. It was all, you know, non-cost. So I, I could just go get it. Mm-hmm. And that's what I did. But I did took I took Spanish in high school and that was almost worthless. Uh, and, uh, but I kept, took it and I kept st- I kept on it on my own once this class was over. Yeah, same here. I took Spanish yeah. in high school. I took, I took French in high school. High school. I took French and in high school. and um, it wasn't uh, it wasn't it wasn't the best of learning experiences there. And, and you know, it was funny after you know it being in the military. I went to you know uh, defense language school and uh, for Spanish going to seventh group and. You know, I think I learned more in a week in DLI than I did uh, through a couple of years of high school. Now, now one one of the the languages you speak is Chinese. How difficult is that a language for? Well, it's uh, it's it's category four. Yeah. So it's it's one of the hardest. Uh, and I think all, in that same category, I, I believe Arabic lies in that category. But uh, yeah, I mean, and it's actually the Chinese that that uh, captured my interest as a kid. You know, I mean, the first time I saw some writing across the screen in Chinese, I, you know, just kind of was dumbfounded. That means something, you know. <laughs> and uh, yeah, then I tried making up my own language it was it was real basic kind of stupid uh, i just substituted uh, english letters for diagrams that i made up you know they're just all made up mm-hmm. and they're needlessly complicated <laughs> and basically it had about the same power as a captain crunch code ring <laughs> you, know, you couldn't just sit there and slam out notes in this you just you kind of had to draw every single one of them yeah, it's yeah. funny, yeah, you know, it's funny, uh, know, with Chinese um, people, Chinese how people, uh, how their language is so different. Language is so different. Uh, when uh, we were in Panama we after the war was over down there, a bunch of Chinese immigrants had moved in, and it was amazing how fast they picked up the Spanish language. And they they sat there, and it was like within two or three months they were fluent. Where they can carry on a, a long conversation in Spanish, and they tried, I would say, ineptly to teach me and my partner Chinese, and uh, never did catch on to it. So hats off to you, bro. Hats off to you, bro. Oh, thanks. It's just you know, like um, most languages, you can—they're all audio. You know, you can listen to them and. That's pretty much all you need. But with Chinese, for me, it's video, visual as well. And I did, sometimes I had to picture, you know, what I had to see it written before I could understand it or picture it in my head before I could understand it. And it, the Chinese uses a different part of the brain than English and uh, the Latin languages. So that's, that's probably why it's so damn hard. Yeah, it's processed in a different section of the brain. Well, let's talk about your career a little bit. I know, uh, you know, you started off in the conventional army. Yeah, I did. Yeah, and then moved on to SF and um, and then the special mission unit. Uh, inform our listeners, if in case they're not aware of your background, a little bit about that. Yeah, I came in as uh, mechanized infantry. And uh, didn't didn't enjoy that at all. For and when my enlistment was up, it, it was only a two year enlistment back then. It was an option. I took the, just the two years, the shortest amount of time possible, in case I didn't like it. And uh, I, I I did like it okay, but I didn't like the uh, uh, my peers. 
I think there was one other guy besides me that actually came in voluntarily because we wanted to. Just the two of us. The rest of the guys were run, running from something, uh, trying to escape something. Had judges opt give them the option to come into the army or go to jail. There's a lot of those guys. So we've had a, just a dysfunctional way about it. It's it not not a good experience at all. But and the only way I could think to get out of it and stay in the army was to ask for. Uh, SF. I figured SF, they're not going to put up with these people, you know. But the only way to get there is to go to junk school. And I have a clinical fear of heights. So for the longest time, that was just not a, not a possibility because of jump school. I can't do that. But after, you know, two years, um, I, was, I was ready to jump, do jump school, do whatever it took to get out. As I said before, I, would, I was ready to just jump without a parachute. That's, that's what it took. Yeah, it's funny, uh, you know, reading your book and you talk about your fear of heights. I'm the same way. Um, I will not stand on a stepladder to save my life, which amuses my wife to no end. Because she's like, how could somebody who jumped out of airplanes for all those years and actually did mountain climbing? Because I was on a mountain team. And used to go rock climbing and all that stuff. Will not step on a stepladder, but I still to this day have a fear of heights. But jumping didn't bother me. I actually enjoyed being a jump master. But uh, yeah. that, being that close to the ground on a ladder just scares the heck out of me. Yeah, there, there's there's an altitude limit to to, to everybody's fear of height. Seems like. <laughs> You know, that low heights is what really bothers them, you know, yep. uh, high heights, whatever. But I agree with you about the jump master part. It, jump master, um, I, I rather enjoyed that a little bit because, because mainly I was, you know, uh, swamped with tasks. You know, I had all the tasks to perform, and that kept me from just sitting in my chair worrying about the jump, you know, and, and it, it, it did help. But when I was just a regular jumper, you know, not a jump master, but just in the stick, it, jumping wasn't any easier because of for the jump master school, you know, it's still. And Halo wasn't any better. It was the same thing. Yeah. You know, well, there's a great picture in your book of you haloing. You look pretty comfortable out there. That was in school. That was in the school at Marana. Yeah. And I had a rucksack on that jump and. Um, there's just good weather, good, good, uh, air to fall through. And, uh, and of course I was always trying to put on my best composure for the instructor, you know, yeah. didn't want him getting to the ground report and is, uh, he's, he's not comfortable up there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, and, you know, uh, going back to your early SF days, you were in the Seventh Special Forces group, as I was. But you were there at a not so good time in Seventh Group and moved over to First. Explain our listeners a little bit about that time frame. Yeah, I did go to I went to Seventh Group, and uh, I went to. Uh, I guess it was just a unanimously hated company. You know, run by a, a, a really nasty sergeant major, uh, and um, I remember reporting into the battalion headquarters before I even went to the company. And there was some schmuck standing outside on the porch waiting for his name to be called, and I was waiting with him and wouldn't say anything. And he, he asked me where where I was going to, and I told him I'm going to B one B two one. I think it was B two one. And he goes, oh, God, you're going to Billy Lee's plantation. <laughs> that, was the, the, that was the nickname for it. Yes, the plantation. plantation. We all remember that. Yeah. And and everybody was unhappy in that company, um, including me. But I ended up getting pushed up to uh, S3 Air at the battalion after just like a year. So I got to be away from Billy Lee unless he came there to uh, – Battalion headquarters for some reason. 
Yeah, he was pretty. He's pretty mean guy. Mm-hmm. He, was, he was not a happy man. But uh, moving over to first group was a good experience for you. A good experience for you. Yeah, it really was. And I, I tried hard getting there. I tried using you know my language because Chinese was one of the s one of the first groups languages, and um, I I finally did get it. Got transfer over there. And uh, it, it was, I mean, you know, they didn't even have chains of command there when I was there. I was E E5, and I was a team sergeant for a scuba team. It wasn't qualified or anything. It was just, you're, you're, the, you're the team sergeant for this team, 155. Um, and I had like four or five guys. <laughs> and uh, when the teams did fill up and we got some more senior people, then – the priority was to get us all through uh, dive school, and and I went. I had to re- I had to repeat it because I failed the first time around. Um, so I repeated it. Was qualified, and it was an ec- a excellent team, a damn good team to the man. And it was a real pleasure to be there. It, it, it seems it seems fair, you know. I had to put up with those years in the plantation. Then I got to come over to an elite dive team. With some real great players, and uh, we were in great shape and uh, not bad at diving either. Yeah, and then you uh, you spent some time at the dive school down in Key West, and uh, that that's a one of the toughest schools in the army. The toughest schools in the army. How did, how did you love working down there? I asked for that trip. Uh, Worked real hard to get that uh, billet there in Key West. Finally got it, um, and, and it was uh, it was great duty. I mean, outside of the SMU, um, it was fantastic duty. We just uh, were it just so happy that when I was getting there, they were um, slicing up the curriculum and the amount of courses that they were going to do, and. Uh, especially with, you know, the first group opening up, they needed to put in extra classes. So we were um, really just uh, like meeting ourselves coming and going, working hard all the time. And, and when I was there as a student, I noticed that it was pretty cushy and there's a lot of older guys. And there was not a, there was like one person leading P, P, PT in the morning, the only guy that could. And, but by the time I got it, then there was a lot of time off, you know. There's an insanely large amount of time off for those guys. Then when I got there, that was over. And so, and I, and I didn't mind it. I didn't mind working. And uh, that's what we did. We did our yeah. best day in, day out. Chuck Studley Chuck was Studley one, was one was of your one of, uh, fellow instructors uh, over there. Chuck's a great sure guy. A I, great I know guy. that uh, he's always putting yeah, pictures, of, uh, pictures of uh, the uh, the uh, you know the Key West uh, guys from back in the day. Guys from back in the day. Yeah, he was he was a uh, it was a real charge having Chuck work work there. But I could tell day one that he was a really good guy. He, the first day he got there, we had a cadre jump, jump from a Sea King helicopter, and uh, he he fit right in. You know, afterwards washing the parachutes, guys were busting his chops. You know, already and they don't really do that unless they like you. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah Chuck, it was great having him there, man. He was he was good for, for my morale, being there, uh, and we, yeah, we we pulled a lot of gags on each other. Had had a good time. He's he was he was good at, at the PT. He could get in there and uh, he could lead that. Um, and he was real good on the platform. Excellent on the platform. Yeah, I really appreciated having him there. And uh, yeah. you know, it was during this time that you decided to try out for the special mission unit. And. Uh, how uh, you talk about this in your book, and we'll get more into it once we start talking about the book. But how difficult, uh, you know, 
like, like um, uh, the, preparation. the preparation. I know you I know said the you first, said the time, first time, time that you prepared for it, you actually overtrained, and that, that's a that, common that's thing a common for a lot of guys. Lot of whether, whether they're preparing for SF or SFU. What was that like what, doing what, it down in Florida where down you, Florida, you know, you're dealing with the heat, you know, all, the with the heat all the time? It was, it, it, of course it was tough. You know, I pushed myself really hard because I just didn't know what to expect. Um, and the, the, the unit pushed out a, a, a training curriculum to all the new candidates, you know, th that they have on file. And it's just a, it, they call it as a recommendation for how to train up for the unit. And um, I couldn't keep up with it. You know, I, I tried doing it for two days. I couldn't do it. You know, I just couldn't move fast enough or, or carry enough weight. And uh, so finally, I just tried not to fret the curriculum paper, got rid of it, and just did did on my own, you know, what I thought I should do. It rucked every day. Did bike ride every day. Did a lot of of calisthenics and uh, got some time in the gym at night. Um, I don't remember. I don't remember ever taking a break. And uh, I ended up, you know, getting blistered feet and some injuries. And uh, that that was my condition when I was about to go catch my flight. Is that you know I had my duffel bags up on my shoulder, walking out to the car, limping. And I just stopped and, and said, what are you doing? You know, you can't, you can't show up to Key West or show up to SMU selection and assessment with injuries. They're not, they're not going to get better because there's no time off and they're only going to get worse. So I dumped my bags back in my house and uh, made a phone call. And they were, they were pretty, uh, they were chill about it uh, and they were encouraging uh, for a next time. You know, yeah, yeah, you got to just get yourself right and get out here the next time around. And we'll, they fixed me a date and uh, just started it all over, did the training. Just got a little smarter about it. And um, I was able to show up to the airport with no injuries the second time around. And um, the, the course itself, it was just, it was a matter of, I realized that in the end, it's like, why did I make it if I wasn't the fastest guy? And I, I decided it was consistency. Like, if, you know, and there, there's a time standard there. It's like no one knows what it is, but there's a there's a slowest amount of time that if you can't hit that mark, then you're definitely out of there. But then above that, there's this window in there. If you can keep that steadily day after day. The, those times, then uh, I, I think that that, is, that matters in who they select. I think they want to select the, the guys that are consistent. And, and I consistently got lost at least once every day. The first leg out, I got lost. And it, it took me about three hours to get right again. But after that, everything was pretty smooth. It was just a matter of you know putting the terrain behind me. Uh, and I ended up making it through first time around. That's a, and, and that was good. That's a, a lot of walking in the mountains up there. Yeah, it sure is. It sure is. How many map sheets did you have? Uh, I had, I was thinking about this. How many were there? And it was between five and seven map sheets. Uh, and, um, and you know, well, we used we used our map sheets more than just once, you know. And even on the long walk, we you know had to do some detours up in the mountains that forced us to pull out a previous map sheet, you know, to reacquire our bearings. But I remember putting them all together, all the distances together, and they equaled this the size of West Virginia, you know, from from north to south. That's amazing. <clears throat> and then yeah, and after you, you made oh, – go ahead. I was wanted to say that uh, several several people in the support role in the unit 
wanted to try out and they did and particularly more officers than enlisted guys. And uh, one of the officers at a checkpoint, he referred to the maps as something that only the cadre referred to him as, you know, like they, like we tell them pull out map sheet seven, but in the, to the cadre, we, that's probably like I six. Mm-hmm. And he, and he used that term. And the, the cadre was in an uproar. They're saying, man, the guy, he, he, he spilled the beans on himself that he was familiar with the map sheets. You know, they wanted to get rid of him, throw him out. And, and my, my outlook on it was, you know, you, you, can, you could have given me the map sheets before I showed up, just given them to me. And I could just open them up and go, what, what's what? You know, what is this? Where's... Where would I be starting? Where would I be going? First, second, third? You know, it's just, it's, mm-hmm. it doesn't doesn't matter. What matters is you have to you have to put the terrain behind you. That's what matters. And you know, no familiarity, no prior familiarity with the map sheets is going to help you do that. Because man, you can't memorize a whole map sheet. Well, I suppose you can. But wow, wow. So. But just somewhere in all those squiggly lines is a trek. Is a trek I have to make, and I don't even know if it's a north, south, or east, west. He ended, he ended up failing himself, and um, and we we found out that or the psych would talk to him, and he told us about him a little bit. He said, "Yeah, he he, uh, he processes a map sheet a little a little different than." the guys that make it process. And like he, he asked me, so what do you, what do you see when you look at a map sheet? And I say, I, I see a picture. And I see a picture of ground. I see high places and low places and, uh, and everything between. And I see, I can see water rivers, you know, it's like flying over a piece of train at an airplane. And, and then when you ask this guy that, that, failed what he saw when he opened a map sheet he saw a math problem he saw numbers he didn't see the picture he saw numbers so every movement hmm. he made was like a mathematical hmm. equation so you could bet he was out there you know with what do they call it that ranger tether with the beads on it to pace count yeah yeah he, he probably had one of those and he uh he dead reckoned his way through the, as far as he could. And it's just, you know, you can do some dead reckoning. It's, it's possible. I may have done it a little bit, but probably not. I, you know, I was out there with a compass, but no protector, you know, no dead reckoning done. Just it was all terrain association. Just look at the picture, compare it to the terrain. And oh, there's the same one. There's, there's the same pictures and, start making my way through it. Yeah. I, in your book, you talk about, um, you know, going through the selection process. And uh, I remember seeing a picture years ago of the boots that you took through there. They took a yeah. beating. <laughs> they did. They did. I still got them. You still I, have those for, boots? Oh, yeah. Absolutely do. Um, but before I started my train up back at Key West, I drove north to, uh, Homestead Air Force Base because they have a clothing sales there. And I bought two pairs of the most basic leather boots, you know, no frills, no zipper, no fancy, uh, tread to them. And I bought two pairs of them, marked them A and B. And I just swapped, I traded those boots out every day. You know, I, I used B yesterday, I use A today. And it, uh, it, I think if, if I, I think if I only had one pair of boots when I showed up there, they would couldn't have handled the beating. Uh, so it was good to have the spare. And even in selection, I, I used, I swapped my spare with my primary set of boots every, every day swapped them out and they both look about the same, but that one pair 
is the the one that I marched the forty miler in. So it's got a little more beating than the other, and I got rid of the other pair. Just did. Um, yeah, but those are definitely my forty uh, miler boots. That's awesome. So, so you know, you 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 traveled all over the world with the special mission unit. I mean, you may you meet and you write about a ton of just intriguing characters in the unit. And um, is there is there any one spot I know uh, that stands out either good or bad amongst all the places you travel? All the places you travel. Uh, probably Morocco was because I, I, I did it alone. On the, went through uh, six six cities in Morocco with like no money, you know, just like five dollars a day, and uh, yeah, it was, it was, I, mean, I mean, they they gave me enough dirham. That's the the currency there. To to um, to get me like a, a say a five dollar room for rent at night, but then you had a few dollars after that to, to get something to eat or drink because it was hard to get good water there. And uh, I just traveled from city to city using different medium. Like I used a bus to get to one place. I used trains um, more often. And uh, at one point I. I lost, uh, I lost the opportunity to catch a train, and I ended up taking a camel with with some people, friends of a guy in a bar that, that I met, and um, we marched up there with camels. It was it's kind of fun. It was. I was yeah, just I've spent some time in Morocco. That's right. You did some filming there. And have some, some yeah, really I, I did a. Uh, I was a security guy for a film there, and uh, it's a, it's an intriguing place. I mean, I was up in Rabat for most of the time, but uh, we had an old uh, air base that used to be an American air base in Kenitra, and then we went south down into uh, Marrakesh just to check it all out, and of course. We had to go. I mean, I had to go to Casablanca as an old movie man and go to Rick's, you know, Rick's place. So it's, Morocco's yeah, a pretty intriguing place. And Fes was the, I think the fifth city that I was, that I was at. Yeah, uh, it it was pretty cool, pretty intriguing, but the you know not having anything and very little money made kind of ruined it. Uh, Ruined a little bit of the mystique, but I think yeah, so Morocco. Let's I, I saw the. Go ahead. Go, I was going to say Morocco is. I I saw some of the most pathetic people, poor and uh, uh, crippled, and that sort of thing that I had never seen before, other than movies. I actually saw a guy that had no legs and he pushed himself in a little wooden cart with you know, four wheels and and two weights in his hand. And that's how he, that's how he propelled himself. And I said, wow, I've never seen it that bad before. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's really different. You know, you're really in the Arab world, but there's a lot of Western influence there. Western unlike influence a lot there. of the Middle East, unlike it's, a lot of uh, the Middle East. very different. Uh, very different. Leave it there. Leave it there. But let's talk about the book. Um, I know I've I've read a couple of these stories because they were published in soft rep. But um, did you ever uh, aspire to be a writer? No, never did. It was just something that came about. I mean, through stuff you had to write for special mission unit or no i i wrote i gosh i wish i remember this like don't actually i wrote that story about matthew ryerson mm-hmm. um 
Okay, I remember now. It was, I was living here with my daughter and uh, I didn't have, wasn't really working at the time. And this opportunity came up, you know, to work human traffic. But another opportunity came up. It says, hey, there's a, this website, SoftRep. And they says, why don't you write a story for SoftRep? They might pay you for it. I said, oh, well, okay. So I wrote that. And um, Jack took me his, right away. And uh, we you know, came up with the, the deal. I wrote, we'd write five stories a month. And then that went up to 10. Then it went up to 17. And then I got laid off. And Stavros picked me back up. And um, then I ended up, I left on my own. I just, I just walked out. No letter, nothing. I just said, good luck, boys. I'm out of here. And uh, was able to get work with uh, Alex at the Sandbox. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just felt I didn't know I could write. I just you know, I didn't know. And, uh, and I, would, well, I was actually even told by someone that, that I don't like, that I had, didn't write well, that I, th- I think I, you think you can write well, but you, but you can't. Not really. And when you write, you use this voice that's odd and it just kind of scares people away. <clears throat> so that's that's how I figured I was at writing. But until I was, you, you know. It's funny uh, you say that. I, I remember being in college and, and taking courses and my English professor told me never write for a living because you're terrible. for a living because you're terrible. <laughs> Why would they and, even tell somebody uh, that? And, uh, yeah, and I never took it to heart. I was just wondering you know, where he is today. Today, I've been writing for over a dozen years now, and I still enjoy it. I write my own style, and maybe isn't the most grammatically correct, but. Uh, People seem to enjoy some of the stuff I write, so I don't worry about the critics. I don't worry about the critics. Yeah, don't do that. Don't worry about the critics. Uh, and your stuff, especially the the war history stuff, are some of the best papers of yours that I wrote. I think uh, I I kind of try to learn the the mechanics of the the Battle of Midway, and you know I watch different documents. And I could never get it straight. Like I could, if somebody came up and said, "Tell, tell me about the Battle of Midway," you know, A to A to Z, I couldn't do it because it just wouldn't sink in. But I wrote the paper you wrote, and I finally was able to fully understand it. Like I didn't know it was lasted more than a day. I thought that it was a course of several days. <clears throat> but all that happened. It was just like bam, bam, bam. No one got a nap that day. <laughs> Yeah, that was- no, it's it's amazing. I mean, uh, you know, and thank you for that. I appreciate that. But, um, you know, when you go back to that story, I mean, so many things had to break right for the American Navy on that day. And every one of them did. And, you know, they were quite fortunate. But the bravery of the guys involved... I just saw I, a special I hadn't seen, seen before. There was a dive bomber pilot named Gleason actually actually bombed more than bombed one more of the Japanese carriers. Japanese and then on his way back, he got jumped by zeros and shot two of them down. And shot two of them down. Just unbelievable. You know, flying a dive bomb. You know, flying a dive bomb. So he's probably flying the Dauntless SPD dive bomber. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they're yeah. I guess they have a chance against zero. Some of some of the others don't. Not not really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's. But a in great terms story. of your book, I mean, some of the the people I mean, in there, some the, of the, the characters there, you talk the, about, the characters you uh, talk Sergeant about, Major Colin, Sergeant Major Colin, uh, he seems yeah. like quite he the character. Like quite the character. That's Sergeant Major who. Colin Rich. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm still in touch with him today. Still in touch. He was, yeah, he was a hell of a character in uh, yeah. <laughs> in the unit. He sure was. He, he's from uh, he's 
he's from New England. Boston, yeah, I liked how yeah. you wrote in the I book with his uh, the Boston accent. His, uh, Boston accent. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't. I never know how that turns out to the reader. You know, it's like, well, to me, it sounds like this. Let's see if the reader gets it. So, well, as, yeah, as somebody yeah, from yeah, there, when I was reading that, I, I was cracking up laughing because it sounds like all of us who from there, how we all talk. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's a comp. That's definitely a compliment. He's uh, he he got but, uh, <coughs> the guy I wanted. To, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. And he got out and still lives, I think, in uh, uh, Southern Pines. And him and his wife opened up a, a pizzeria, Boston style pizza. And that's that's what and has a new grandbaby. That's what they're doing these days. So he's still he's still horribly affl afflicted with, you know, his wound. They'll never heal, but uh, he's no. he's doing okay. He's yeah. But I wanted to ask you about uh, Conan and explain to our readers about him. He's the guy that actually got you into the special mission unit. Yeah, he is. He is. He's one of the guys. There's like two. Yep. That uh, the light really came on when they finished their spiel, but it was really it was James Conan Sutter that uh, that made the difference, and he he showed up at our um, one of our courses at, in Key West when I was an instructor, and uh, he didn't talk to me the, the through the whole thing. He maintained the instructor student relationship, but at the end we they, we have a gathering where we you know have a couple of beers and uh, cook something and, and mingle with, you know, the graduates. And he pulled me aside well, all the way around the other side of the building. He said, come here, George. And then uh, and he, you know, he practically ordered me to go try out. <laughs> so you, you need to, you just, you need to go. I said, I, I can't, I can't even keep up the, uh, their training curriculum. He says, don't worry about the training curriculum. Don't worry about anything. Just get, Get over there; it'll all work out. And uh, he was right. And I take it just from the way you describe him, he must have been a really big man. He was big. He's he's a pretty good size. He was buff, you know, and had a kind of a mean face. And you just didn't mess with with the James Sutter. Didn't mess with him. And uh, he was just too much for most people. You know, they said they just couldn't, they couldn't keep up with the motivation the guy had. And I think it was a good idea when he went to the unit because he, with all his motivation and all his ideas, he, he had resources to entertain all that. Like he thinks he can come up with a different, whatever, web gear. And uh, he tasked me to come up with some web gear that floated because the seals had it. And I, I did that, uh, but I was the only, but I was the only one that had it. Nobody else wanted it. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was a really good thing for for him to get to the unit. And then when he left left there, retired, um, he went to work for a contract for the DOE in Las Vegas. And he called me up, started calling me up, and hounded me. Says George, I know I found out you're up for retirement. Need you to come here and work here on my project, and I pushed it back a lot. But finally, I just he said the right thing, and uh, and I was going to school for IOT at the time, and I just, I just dumped all that and went to work for him. He's still the same guy there in, in that contract, and all and a bunch of civilians working for him, and that that wasn't going over too well. They were constantly hounding HR, you know, that this guy's being mean to me and. And I get that, yeah. He, and he and and he would he, he would get a complaint about me from HR. So he says, George, did you tell some guy that you're going to rip his head off and, and shit down his neck? I'm like, oh, yeah, I think I may have done that. And and HR would complain. He said, you got it, you got his ease back, you got this, you got that. You know, you're not on the Little Birds anymore on short final. And I thought. Well, of all the people to tell me, you know, to ease back, you got James there. 
But, uh, you know, uh, in spite of all that, he had people knocking down his door trying to get on his project because he had money because he was, he was making money on his project. And uh, he ended up with like over a hundred employees there working for him on his project. And, uh, some of us were able to break away from his, it was, his was a, a training course for first responders, you know, on rad nuke radiation, solving radiation problems, biological, uh, problems and chemical scenarios. And, uh, I, I, you know, I didn't really much like firemen so much and policemen and all that because they, they were complainers, you know, they complained about everything we made them do. Um, and it was hot and it was the desert. So that, that was fed into it, but I was able to pull away and do some, some special mission unit type stuff. I was, I ended up was handling uh, all the seals that came through to, to do their shakeout before they went to Afghanistan. And uh, even even the Big D came through there and did a deep underground um, rescue of a Scud Scud Bravo. It, it was a full Scud Bravo that ran, and then they had it tucked way back in this tunnel. It was actually a drift because it's like a letter. The drift is shaped like a letter U. It's got an entranceway. Goes in, bend, bends back, and it has an exit, a different exit. The tunnel just goes in and then it comes out. You know, just one way in, one way out. So they had it hidden back in the bend of this drift, and we imported some Hughangus, uh heavy armored doors to, to block these portals. <clears throat> Stuff from uh, I don't know from where. Or some of the one of them came from a. An AT&T facility that was deep underground, and uh, it was many feet thick and weighed X number of tons. And uh, the guys came in and assaulted that. Their breachers cut those doors. They cut in through those doors and uh, opened the doors, and was able to drive that scud out. That's some. Um, uh... Some cool stuff. And that that was in the what Utah desert or Nevada? Nevada desert, and they air the air um, lifted and air dropped all all their vehicles in the desert out there. You know, from one thirties and such. So they did a did a full mission uh, profile. You know, a real airdrop, personnel drop, long distance movement over ground in in their vehicles, and then hit the objective. And there and there were. Little birds flying all through those mountains, hitting targets, and uh, it, it was amazing. You know, I, I wanted to ask you something. I know we were talking about military history earlier. And I know that while you were in the, the unit, uh, you guys went to Poland, and I know that uh, from the book you have pictures. We visited Auschwitz. Yeah. What was what? that like? I mean, even so 60, 50, 60 years after the fact, what was it what like was it? visiting that place? It uh, it was a real somber place and a sobering experience. Um, and I think I found myself, um, and I wondered if others didn't, didn't also do this, but just wonder picture myself being there, you know, being one of the victims in, 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 in different buildings, you know, of, of the camp Auschwitz and then it's sister camp, much, much larger Birkenau across town. And, but, but, you know, you see it all in the movies and you see the real thing and try to just try to imagine what it was like for, you know, five people to be crammed in this one bed and in the freezing cold and expect them to, to sleep. And uh, the, the hardships are just untold. It's, it's, it's hard to really explain it all. But it was, a, it was a great tour. I was glad I was able to do it. And it was a dumb luck that I, that I stumbled across a couple of cars that were organizing themselves to drive out there on, on a, a free day that they gave us. And I just jumped right in a car and said, I'm going, I'll, I'll go with you. And Sam Foster came along as well. 
is he, him being also being a history buff. And uh, it, it, was a, it, was, it was amazing. Anybody that can get there, it's not going to change. You know, there's, um, and, and it's, it, it's funny because Birkenau takes up a lot of land. It's, it's big. I don't know how many acres. But if, there, if ever there was a land shortage, I don't know if they'd ever consider, like, okay, we'll put up a, a, a monument, but we're going to take back the rest of this land. We just need it. And I, I doubt they would ever do that. You know, it just it remains untouched. Yeah, I know that. Uh, you know, my dad was uh, in armor in World War II, and he liberated one of those camps, uh, not as big as as Auschwitz or Birkenau, but the pictures he took were pretty um, horrifying. I guess the only way to put it, and you know, <clears throat> I know that that was one of the things that haunted him. He never talked about the war. In fact, and even after I became SF and I came home, you know, I uh, would just talk about some of the funny stuff. But one night he opened up about liberating one of those camps and how it just, I mean, guys who had fought all the way across Europe, how uh, it just horrified them to, to no end. To like it, it literally shocked these guys. I don't doubt it. Um, <clears throat> these these photos that your dad took, is that just his own personal photos, or did he ever have them published? No, because at the time, no, um, at the time he uh, said that the, the order came down, the, you know, his commander had called you know, in, they and they found this place, and they said, yeah, these places are being found everywhere. And they said every man with a camera go into the camp and take as many rolls of film as you have because we have to document this because eventually a lot smarter than everyone else said eventually somebody's going to say that this shit never happens and we're going to make sure that people remember that it did how about that and later on I worked with as a contractor with the and the Iraqis insisted that that never happened the holocaust didn't happen it was a myth really yeah why would they think they that? used to argue with me for no end and they were like it was all made up it didn't happen and i was like my father had nightmares until he passed away about that i'm sure it did yeah that's that's funny i don't i don't know what their interest is there in saying that it didn't happen you know um, well, they weren't, they weren't there for one thing. Yeah, but I, I got to ask you about one of your other brothers in, in the Strip unit. In the, it's a guy I, I, I've watched his videos. I've watched his videos. I'm just intrigued. I would love to meet him someday. I would love to meet him someday. Can you fill us in a little bit, Pat? Fill us in a little bit, Pat. Yeah, Pat and I have been friends for over 35 years. Uh, and he's one of the first people I befriended when I came into SF. And I came to seventh group, or I'm sorry, first group, excuse me, first group. And that was in Washington state. And uh, he was, a, he was part of that gaggle of people that showed up there and there was no structure, you know, which really didn't have, it wasn't, it wasn't, up, it was not deployable because it wasn't, Full. We didn't have all the billets full of all the people. I was a team sergeant at, as E5, and um, I had like four guys on my team. And we were a scuba team, but no one was scuba qualified. We had to do that uh, later once we got organized. But Mac was just, you know, larger than life, jolly guy, as long as you weren't pissing him off. And he drove these... <laughs> He drove this Cadillac, this big old Cadillac, you know, with the, the roof down. And he, he, would, he would drive with, steer with his left arm and have his right arm over the seats and speed. He would speed along the road that connected the Fort Lewis with North Fort Lewis. The, the, um, the freeway cut those two in half. And so he'd have to drive across the freeway and then this long stretch to, to get to the rest of the fort. And Mac would just speed down the thing. And 
he'd, he'd see us rucking or something, and he'd always always holler out, you know, Yahoo! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he, he's, he's, he's the same way today as he was back then. Same way. He talks the same way. He's got the same opinions. Works out the same way. Um, he's the real he's the real deal, man. He's he's living life. He's basic really dude is. stuff. Basic dude stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wrote a, that, that bum. You know he 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 uh, he puts a caveat in there sometimes. Says, "Hey, if, feel free to write down ideas and send them in." And, and I wrote a filled a whole page full of stuff. I said, "Here's some." basic dude stuffs for you. And uh, he didn't use a single one of them, <laughs> which is good because it means he's got enough, enough material. He's almost at 100 too. as basic dude stuff is almost at, at uh, tape 100. So there's, there's going to, I'm sure the last few are going to be some whoppers. We probably some really good ones, but he's, so, he's, so, He's li- living life and he's uh, doing real well. He's t- totally successful. Firearms instructor. He's got a lot of demand. Um, yeah, I'm really happy for him. We st- we stay in touch. You know, that's great. I would love to meet him one day because uh, you know uh, you see a lot of different special ops guys all over the place and you know when whenever i watch one of his videos or or see an interview with him i'm like that's a guy i would love to sit down and have a drink yeah he'll he'll have a ipa i'm sure yeah so how difficult was it putting all the stories together for the book together for the book I had, uh, I put, I started putting, just getting all the stories that I had and, and that I, that I could remember, remember and got a big folder and I said, they're, they're all there. They're supposed to be there. Um, oh, just to, just to back step real quick. I went to selection with Mac as well. Oh, so really? Yeah. I was sort of really got the bond. So I got all the stories and, uh, and I started you know, picking which ones are going to make the cut. And I wasn't sure what the number was, like how many chapters am I going to have in this book? They're all, they're going to be 1500 words each, just about. Um, and I ended up with, ended up with the 20 and decided this will be them, the 20. And I said, well, I need to, uh, I need to add to it. So I wanted to put, I wanted to put, two chapters in the beginning and add two more chapters to close it out because it really had, it had no beginning or end. Uh, and, and, but, but at about that time I was working with Greg Coker and he asked me to, he asked me to ghostwrite his book for him. And it was my fault for getting him going on a book. Um, so I felt obligated to, to ghostwrite for him. And I wanted to do this as quick as I could because his story is, is amazing. I think it, I wanted it to get out there first. So I just, uh, I pushed my own book aside. See, I'll, I'll get to that. And I just worked on Greg's book, you know, sun up, sun down. I just worked on it. He, he was doing his part. He was definitely, uh, uh, shacking up chapters and sending like a couple of a day sometimes maybe more. And I felt like I would be the holdup of his book if I didn't work as hard as he did. So I really pushed myself. Um, and, <clears throat> and we got it done. And, uh, then I, when his was done, then I went ahead and picked back up on mine and, and wrote those four chapters in just like two and a half days, less than that, maybe. And I had a product and was able to progress it the product based on um, Greg because he was one step ahead of me all the time, you know, and uh, that really helped me find a way through to a publisher and printer and all that sort of thing. So he's like my test bed, but, but he went, he, he was on the ball more than I was like he had, he had his paperbacks done. 
and had them out there months ago, and I, I don't have mine out yet. I have them; they're in my base, they're in my garage, <laughs> in crates. But we're working a contract with Amazon to um, to to mail those to, to mail those to them and have them move the book uh, from their store. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, and uh, yeah. again to our yeah. listeners out there. Brothers of the Cloth by George Hand. This is if you've read George's work on Soft Rep and Saint Box and We Are the Mighty and Business Insider and probably a half dozen other sites, you'll love the book. A firm. I was a I was a fan. I literally asked you for an autograph copy, which you were kind enough to send me, and uh, it was a great book. I'm actually reading it again because uh, when we were talking about you know we get on the podcast, I said oh, I got to read the book all over again. I got to read the book. It was fantastic, but uh, we definitely recommend it to all of our soft rep listeners and readers out there. Check out George's book. Um, is there anything else you'd like to share with us about the book like before we wrap it up and give you back your day? Well, it's it's uh, it's still in process of getting registered with uh, Amazon, but it can still be you can still buy the book by calling my staff and ordering through her, and, and that's my daughter, whom you already know, actually met this morning. But you can call her up and uh, tell her that you want one of those books, and she'll work it out with you. Um, she'll she'll do the hand, do the, the pricing for you, and she works with a bunch of different uh, internet models for for handling money, like uh, uh, Cash App is one of them, Zella, another one, PayPal, and Venmo are some of the ones she works out. She'll just get your order, <clears throat> get your payment, and and mail your mail your book out to you. Well, and, and otherwise, 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 I I keep I keep uh, uh what the progress of it uh, on my website, my my Facebook site. Well, well, Gio, uh, we want to thank you uh, once again. It was great to catch up. Uh, thanks for taking the time to, to join us today, talking about your book. Uh, you can also find George's book on its website, georgehand.com. Uh, be sure to check that out. Thanks, my friend, for taking the time with us today. We really appreciate it. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Steve. You're a consummate professional. I really enjoyed this. Uh, you made oh, my day. It's, uh, oh, it was it was my pleasure, and as always, as as you sign off on all your chapters of your book, I signed off with the same thing. You know, when I did a review of your book, a written review, by Almighty God and with honor, read Gio's book. Read Gio's book. Thanks, Steve. Cheers. All right. Before we leave. If you want to get SoftRep on your phone, download our free mobile app and get easy access to our articles, podcasts, and gear reviews, all perfectly formatted to your device. Please subscribe to SoftRep.com to get access to our library of all our ebooks and exclusive team room forums and content available on all your Apple and Android devices. We want to thank all of our listeners for joining us today, and especially our good friend Gio. Gio, thanks again for joining us. All the best to you and your daughter. Thank you once again for ironing out our details today. We really appreciate it. All the best all the time, Steve. All right. We'll be back with another podcast soon. been listening to soft rep radio 
I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. 